insight and awareness spiritual explorer, soul intuitive, emotional and spiritual mentor and award-winning author, Lorraine Nylon. Welcome explorers to the Insight and Awareness Spiritual Explorers podcast. I'm your host, Lorraine Nylon, and I have the absolute privilege of having Kidden Jonathan here today, who is a author. And you're based in Canada at the moment, and she's written a book called Resilience, The Journey of Self-Discovery. So thank you for being here today, Kidden. Thank you, Lorraine, for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here. And you've had such a journey. You've ended up in Canada, but can you tell our listeners where you started and how you came about writing this book? Thank you so much. Uh, I'm originally from South Sudan. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I left the country, it was called Sudan. So South Sudan became a country in 2011. Right. And there was civil war going on. So when I gave birth one day to my uh, first child, two hours after that, bombs were dropped in Juba town. Wow. And I panicked. I didn't know what to do. However, my mother was around and she came with her calm demeanor and carried the baby and we ran for safety. We hid under the bushes for hours. When we recovered, Duku, my husband, said, no, 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 we cannot live here. We need to leave this country. So we left. In two months, with a two-month-old baby, I was 20 years old. Wow, I couldn't even imagine. I think their experiences, unless you've lived them, you can't really imagine what that's like. Yeah, it's it's very hard. Even myself who went through it, looking back, you still, I'm still surprised and maybe thankful really for surviving that. Yeah. And then, and then where did you go from there? Um, we went to Uganda. So in Uganda, we landed in Mukono district. It's a very poor county. People were growing coffee, but they didn't, they were not getting paid enough for their labor. So they were just surviving. And when we came there, that means we were two steps poor than those who are already poor. Those who are already poor there. So one day, a friend of ours came to the house and he said, what are you guys doing here? You need to go to Kampala. So we went to Kampala, which is the capital city of Uganda. And then my husband found a job, but the job only lasted for one year. Right. And I did a bad decision. We became pregnant for another baby now. <laughs> I like that. I became a bad decision. <laughs> yeah, bad decision. <laughs> and so, so where was that baby born? There or yeah, had... uh, yeah, he was born in Uganda. Right. 
Yeah, his name is Mike. Yeah. Right. And then how did you end up in Canada? Well, from in 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 Uganda, we were actually very very poor for a very long time. Apart from that job of one year, we were struggling like for four years. So my my husband decided to go to the refugee camps in Kenya. Right. They had news coming uh, on, and the news is that American embassy was coming to take South Sudanese refugees. So when that news came for him, it was really a sign of hope. Yeah. And he decided to go there. By that time, we didn't have a job. We didn't have any kind of business at all. Right. Yeah. So in the refugee camp, that's when we found a way to come to Canada. And so how long were you in the camp for? I was in the camp for two years. And did you survive on hope? What was it like living in the in the camps and, and what what were you thinking then at the time? Well, when I first went into the camp, I knew that it's located in the desert in the mm-hmm. uh, northeastern part of Kenya. And I but I didn't know how dry it was, how a desert looks like. I know from pictures, but when I went in person, the first thing that hit me was the blistering heat of mm-hmm. the desert. And then the dusty storm, the uh, thorny trees, it's very, very dry. <laughs> it was. <laughs> I knew it was going to be dry, but it was very, very dry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, I went and it, surprisingly, the community was very um welcoming they would make it very livable place they planted trees even if the oh. trees are not that great they still try their best yeah and they, they were very hopeful and then they worked on their goals of leaving the refugee camp so that's what ha- uh, helped me the, the most important thing for me was also finding a job because I was a primary teacher yeah. for two years and I worked with girls. Oh, lovely. Yeah. And are you, and are you teaching now or you? Right now I'm doing my fourth career. And do you think that's part of your resilience is that you, you've been really adaptable to what, whatever circumstance you found yourself in? Yes, I believe so. Uh, I'm very good at learning. I always want to learn and yeah. I've been learning ever since. And I think that resilience is really about learning because unless we are learning, we're going to be hopeless because we're always going to feel like we're not succeeding in life. And when you feel stuck and stagnant, which might be different too, like, you know, my version of being stuck and stagnant is in a very safe zone. Do you know what I mean? My safety has never been something that I've had to worry about. But feeling stuck and stagnant in a place where you don't feel safe, that's got to be a whole nother element to it. Yes, that's a different level of defeat. Yeah. And really surrendering to life and saying, I can't go anymore. 
and we, we, we don't have, I don't think that's a way to go in life. There are going to be stumbling blocks, but we have to find a way to get over, around, or under the yeah. situation. And what, what do you feel has evolved within you because of the experiences that you've had? What has evolved through me is advocacy mm-hmm. and a passion for life. I feel like I have gone through so much that I have found my position in life, you know, because it has always been about what are we going to eat? Where are we going to sleep? You know, uh, now I don't have to worry about that. Well, that's nice to hear. And and that, that, that in itself is a big relief, isn't it? Yes, it's very big. <laughs> yeah, we probably take, we take it for granted for sure, you know, that we... We do take that for, for granted if you've never been homeless or never been in a war-torn country or anything like that. We can only imagine what it's like. It'd have to be extremely different living it. So but in your... Mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, you go, you go. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's different, but you also find other people who are also in your own, in your position. Yeah. Uh, during COVID-19... I see people who are homeless. I don't want to say that being homeless, I, I don't look down to them or I judge them, but I was seeing two friends who are just sitting in the train mm-hmm. and they're giving each other a sanitizer. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that kindness. So there's beauty. Is. Yeah, there's beauty in, in this suffering, you know. When you're all suffering, you... You feel for each other. Yeah, you never thought of it like that. It's interesting because it's every homeless person's got a story, isn't it? Every displaced person's got a story of how right. they got there. Yeah. So what is that what motivated you to write your book, Resilience, The Journey of Self-Discovery? The struggles of not having anything. Yeah. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, well, your your level of resilience is is quite high, isn't it? Like, you know what I mean? Like, resilience is what you've relied on to get you through all that. I'm going to put you down as an expert. <laughs> <laughs> and so and a tested expert. <laughs> yeah, 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 because I lived it. I, I think yeah. it's easy to write a book and research it. But yeah. when you live it, it kind of, it, it, it's a different feeling. Absolutely. So what sort of tips do you give us in the book? What sort of things are have you written about in the book? The book has three categories. So one is personal identity. Mm-hmm. The second one is heritage, culture and heritage. Number three is women and refugees. Okay. So when you say, so break them down for us. What's, so your first section, personal identity, what, what are you actually talking about in your book? Give us an yeah, overview. Yeah, so personal identity in the book is about finding myself as a Sudanese and then South Sudanese lady now growing up in that culture of con- that is very strict and in a way also 
don't give girls more way of expressing themselves. Mm -hmm. So I have to pave a way to grow into the person I am today. Yeah, right. Yeah, to find myself. And I was just thinking about that today, which is that we suffered since I got married. And for 22 years of marriage, I didn't know who I was because I always wanted other people to to agree with me or to decide for me. And I never right. made, made my own decision. So when I went into the shelter, I think it was 2018, I went in and it was funny because when I went in, I was so afraid. I said, oh my goodness, I have to run again when I'm in <laughs> Canada. So you're talking like a domestic violence shelter? Yes. Yes. So so when you got to Canada, obviously the, the relationship, the marriage was breaking down and so you've experienced domestic violence. Is that what you're saying? Yes. So, so what I'm saying is that before we came to Canada, we were fighting elements of poverty. We were fighting lack of status. So the issue of marriage that maybe my ex-husband was not a good guy was there, but it was not a big issue. Yeah. So when we came to Canada, now I'm standing up again here because women can go to school and he's, he's like, no, you can't go to school. So Did he withdrew his support and now I, I'm suffering from domestic violence and I had to flee. Right. So, so was he violent towards you in the other circumstances or just when you started to, just when you got to Canada? Uh, he was when I was in Uganda. Yeah, right. Yeah. So when you got to Canada, you, you were like, I'm going to stand up. I'm, I've, I've got a new mission. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're glad you did. Thank you. So, yeah, no, that's good. So, so you ended up in the shelter. So we're on the run again. And how, how did you work out your next step from there? Well, when I went to the shelter, I was very, I had a lot in my head. I didn't eat breakfast. I didn't know what room I was going to be in. I was told that somebody is moving in two days. So that means I didn't know which corner of the room I'm going to be or no room. So as I have these thoughts in my head and wanting to let my children know what happened, a little girl ran to me and she said to me, your hair is messy. And I said, my life is messy. <laughs> yeah, I'm not worried about my hair. My life's my, my main priority. So were your children with you or they were with your partner, husband? Um, I have a very long twisted story because that was the second time I went to the shelter. The first time I went was with my kids and they mm -hmm. were very young. Right. Uh, seven, seven, ten, and 13 years old. And then my parents convinced me to get back to my husband because of the kids. Mm -hmm. And again, poor me, I said, okay. And I went back. <laughs> I brought him back. So this time I'm like, no, I'm not going back again. Yeah. So when I was in the shelter, 
of course, we lived with strangers. Everybody has dislike and likes. So there's a lot of fights, even for little things. And I started writing that time, writing journals. And I went to Scarborough Women's Center. And I, I did 50 workshops in two years. Wow. Yes, on personal development. Very good. And what do, what do, what do you think is the main thing you learned from those personal development courses that you were doing? What's your standout? What stood out was working on my life, almost going to the beginning of the beginning of, uh, how can I say it, core beliefs. Yes. I worked on the core beliefs of how they are so entrenched to our minds that we don't see what we are going through. You know, somebody else may notice it, but we don't see it ourselves. So I worked on the core beliefs. I learned about domestic violence, healthy relationships, communication, mm -hmm. and self-responsibility. Yeah, big one. And so you would have had the, you know, like obviously the second part of your book is about the culture and when you said heritage, that what we're born into contributes to the beliefs that we have. So exactly. we're indoctrinated into those beliefs, but they may not be what I call soul beliefs, things that resonate with your soul that are, are truth to you. No, they were not because um, I think they made me bitter and resentful. Right. I also come from a family that was well known in the community. My grandfather was a pastor for 60 years. We had to be perfect and we, we, we can't mess anything up. <laughs> and <laughs> so the pressure was very high and it creates resentments for sure. Yeah. Actually, it's fascinating, isn't it? Like when there's a perceived desire to create an image. Like everyone everyone around us has to see us as upstanding community people. We've got to be perfect. No one can judge us. The amount of pressure that puts on people is unbelievable. It's, 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 it's just over the top. It's really a lot, yeah. Yeah, and it takes away your freedom to to work out who you are because you, you're asked to perform all the time. Yeah, you, you are always pleasing other people and you are, they call it impression management. <laughs> you are yeah. trying to impress people, but, <laughs> uh, but yourself. Yeah. You know, and at the end of the day, it doesn't really take you anywhere and it doesn't make you happy. No, not at all. Actually, it, it, it attacks the foundation of yourself. You know what I mean? Because you start... You get so used to having to perform that you don't you don't understand that it's a performance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and then oh. it doesn't feed you. You feel you feel disconnected from yourself, and then you're wondering what's wrong with me. Yeah, but it's because you're performing. You're not actually living. You're not feeling Reality. yourself. That yeah, is, and that's that's one of my. I'm trying to think how I can put it. I would say the first thing I did to get better was to be honest with myself. Yeah, and that's hard to do. It is. <laughs> Even when you're trying, it's hard to do. 
Yeah, I had to be honest with myself, you know, because I, I, I was asking, I'm be like, okay, you have been running Kiden from childhood, from country to country. Maybe it's you. Just ask the question. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what do you think was the biggest question you asked yourself? Because I'm very big on self-reflection. So, so I teach people how to be self-reflective and I'm very big on if sometimes it's knowing the right question and the answer will come, whereas we chase the answer all the time and then try to control ourselves to be the answer we think we want. But if we've asked the wrong question, we can't, you know, you can't put those dots together so we can really map ourselves back to feeling the truth of who we are, and especially if you don't understand who that is. You can't have a vision of what that is and try and get there. You have to walk the exploration and as you walk the path, bits and pieces of yourself return and you see it and you understand it and when it resonates with you, you go, that is me. So yes. so what do you think was one of the best questions that you asked yourself? One of the best questions I asked myself is, where do I fit in this equation? I have to think about that. So so did you mean like the equation as in your life or as in the circumstances that you found yourself in? I think it's both, but this question actually is more of referring to my domestic violence situation. Okay. Um, in the family, I found myself working for everybody. But when I want help, nobody would give me that help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's why I said, okay, where do I fit in this equation? I had to get myself out of the situation so I can conceptualize and be able to self-reflect. That makes sense to me. And I think we all do it, not just women. There is, you know, we, as humans, we do it. Is one of the thing biggest things I learned was that I would give and give and give, and I had no boundaries to where that where that should stop. You know, for me, it was that that was you know my perception of myself was someone that was happy and easygoing and and really easy to. But I do find it easy to give and be um, generous with my time and my affection and things like that, my kindness and care. But when you do need it, it is very surprising when you feel that people not give that back to you. Not that we do it for an expectation that it will come back, but you think people think the same as you. And that was one of my big lessons. I had to learn where the boundaries were so that I didn't go, didn't allow my kindness to be abused or manipulated. Exactly. Yeah, yes, whereas yes. I, I never knew where the line was for a long I'm, time. I'm not alone. I was in that uh, as kind of situation where you, you, you I think we're naturally give caring people as women. Yeah. And most of us actually don't really have those boundaries because we're working from our hearts and you keep going and going and going and then down the line you might actually get drained yes because you are not getting anything back and then you are getting drained and you may get even upset with yourself 
Yes, that is true. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So part of resilience, I suppose, is knowing where the boundaries are. Yes, that's yeah, a good different. one. That's that's very important. It is very important. So if you were talking to a young girl that is now in a refugee camp or or running from a domestic violence or in in that chaotic moment where your life's turned upside down and you don't know which way you're going to go, what would be your best advice for them? My best advice is to stay in the moment. Yeah, be present. Yes, because when things are chaotic, you cannot control them, Mm. but you can control your little space, which is where you are. Yeah. And when you are there, you will find a way to move slowly and and move ahead. Yeah, that's true. Actually, that is very true. And it's sometimes you can pick something simple and go, I'll just manage that, you know, I'll just keep this drawer clean or I'll just tidy my suitcase or just keep it very simple so that you, right, I've managed that. So Because what happens is that that sense of being defeated can make everything feel very hopeless. So that's where hope is important as well for resilience. Yes. I always look at hope as the courage to face reality. How do you? I look at it, hope is the courage to face reality. I Whatever like that, you've, uh, yeah. that uh, pers- perspective. Because if you've got hope, then, then reality becomes somewhere where you will look at. Yes. If you have no hope, you'll go into hiding and, you know, you you shut down and you can't see and you can't feel and it's you're in that, that withdrawal from yourself. Whereas hope allows you to hold yourself and that you can face reality. So it's yes, very important. Exactly. They say so, quote, uh, I think they say unknown uh, writer. It says, it says, um, when it's dark enough, I can see the stars. So what was that? When is this enough? When it's dark enough, I can see the stars. Yeah, that's actually true too because it is when I would say sometimes what happens is our denial breaks or our avoidance is no longer useful, our resistance is, is you know, non-existent and so then then reality is just glaring you in the face. Yeah. So then you do have to choose the next task. Right. Yeah, because you've got this no option. True. I think being hopeful is being hopeful, optimistic about your life is always good, regardless of what the situation is. And and an anchor point can be too is is that all right if this is if this is from a soul perspective if this is the life that I'm having this is the experience that I've got right now what can I take from it what can I what can I use that lets me feel me in the experience and lets me learn something, lets me evolve, lets me find out, do the self-discovery and find out more about myself in this experience instead of hiding from it, which is yes. what you've done. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say that's that's what you've done. Yes, yes. <laughs> Along the way I was I was learning 
and I was unlearning and I was relearning yes. as I as I go along, right? Yeah, definitely. And that's what resilience is. And it always grows. It's like a muscle. If you exercise a muscle, it's going to get stronger and it can withstand um, adversities or like strong that. winds. Yeah, resilience is like a muscle. So what I'm going to ask you the question we ask all our guests is what do you think humanity needs to acknowledge and understand for us to evolve when i read that question i'm like wow that is a big one (laughs) i think humanity need to acknowledge first of all that we are human beings we are not doers we are human beings and let's be yeah let's be we are human beings let's be human beings Yes, and respect each other for being. That's big one, respect each other. It's good to work. Everybody has to work. We need to work to earn living. We need to work to pay rent. However, we do need to know that we cannot be uh, machines Mm -hmm. and we were not born and created to operate like machines yeah we are human beings and we cannot compete with machines this is true sometimes we are pushing ourselves too hard and then we get bitter and we are not helpful to anybody we might have lost the value of life trying to achieve trying to achieve all these different goals or perform different images that we've lost the value of life being yes we yes. have we have lost being uh, ourselves and I, I have actually been very um privileged to have time to self-reflect uh nobody is paid for that <laughs> that is true <laughs> that's true that's why we don't have time to even find out how we are doing ourselves because we are just doing yeah and as you have mentioned, I think with COVID-19 and also the introduction of the internet, the Uber, you find that our lives are just run by apps. Yeah. Everything <laughs> is an app. Yeah. 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 I know they help us, but the way I see it is like we need to cut it down and spend more time as a family. Yeah. and spend more time with people that are close to us, like build social network. Yeah, a real one. A real one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I love what you said is no one's paid to be self-reflective, but how important do you think it was getting you to a place where you feel good about yourself? Extremely important. Yeah, I do. I agree. Yeah, because I felt like I didn't only find myself. Finding myself means that there are people in my family who would who are inspired by the book that I wrote. And mm-hmm. they read the book and they call me and they're like, Auntie, that was so nice. <laughs> yeah, so it's not about me alone. It's yeah. about others who would read the book and may find the book helpful, I hope. 
I hope it goes well for you too. I really do. So the book is Resilience, The Journey of Self-Discovery. We'll be all checking that out, I'm sure. So I think we should play Flip the Book. Do you like to pick a number between one, two or three? Which number would you like? And that tells us which book we're going to look at. Okay. You don't get to see the book. (laughs) It's random. (laughs) Three. Three. Okay, so you've actually got your Insight and Awareness book, which is the big one. So you can pick a page number between one and 430. Okay. It's a lot. So Mm. the page I'll pick uh, my 50. 50? 5-0. 5-0. All right. Okay, so we have one, two, three, four paragraphs. So which paragraph would you like? Four paragraphs. Mm-hmm. Number two. Number two. This is under the heading of resistance, denial, avoidance, and codependency. That's the chapter. So when you attempt to deal with your unresolved emotions with more emotions, you perpetuate the soul oppressive cycles and never fully resolve your emotions. True resolution is difficult at times, but always doable. I reckon you're a testament to that. When you are consumed with unresolved emotions, you cannot acknowledge the significance of your soul's consciousness, which causes you to miss the opportunity of consciously living in truth. I think you're proof that true resolution is difficult at times, but always doable. Because if we look, if if I look at the obstacles you've had, they are unbelievable to me compared to what I've experienced. You know what I mean? Like they're just unbelievable, unbelievable to me. So, and look where you are. Look how self-aware and self-reflective you still are. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think it. I think it is. I th- and I think. Before when you were talking about your resentment and bitterness, that you didn't allow that to stay. You you recognised that as something that you wanted to resolve. You had to do a lot of work to resolve it. <laughs> yep. And it wouldn't have always been easy, but you did. And because you don't feel resentful. No, I'm so glad I don't anymore. Yeah. A resentment's a terrible thing. Actually, in in the another book, which isn't published yet, we we the artist and I drew it with um like uh, uh, like a vine with barbed wire, like thorns, because every time you turn or you move, resentment attacks you. you wow. Because have... that's what it it's feels like. It's toxic. It's very toxic. Yeah. So, very, very toxic. It's so harmful to the person who's resentful. So then that gets spit out to everybody else around them, even when they're trying not to. Yeah, they said hurt people hurt others. Yeah, they do. And that's why taking self-responsibility is so important. Yes, self-responsibility is very, very important because we're always pointing at others yeah. for what we have done and we never... Uh, you know, when, when you take self, when you have self-responsibility, the blame game goes away. <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah. And that's a, that's a very hard thing to do. 
because even you know you'll have little trippers and you you'll want to blame circumstances or people but the yeah. reality is is you got to come back and go okay what was my part in that as well right yeah that's where honesty becomes very hard yes and if we yeah. can all do that especially uh when it comes to mentality of abusers in domestic violence i think accountability is very important if it start to happen then we we won't see these cases happening maybe not completely but it will cut down or some of the issues that are happening with domestic violence i uh, and it's hard in domestic violence because people hope when people enter a relationship they're hoping it, it's going to keep evolving no no one enters a relationship and going oh geez i hope this turns to crap when people have invested time in a relationship or they're they're hoping this is a stage they're they're trying to be forgiving we've got misconceptions about what unconditional love is if i'm if i'm if i'm loving if i'm patient this this will stop you know this will our relationship will improve so there's all those kind of beliefs that trip people up they self-manipulate themselves to tolerate a lot of bad behavior but if you don't know anything different or if it's backfeeding this feeling of low self-worth not good enough that can actually hold you there and you don't realize it so it's such a it's such a complex relationship with you within yourself as to why um oops the book foil um as to why people stay in abusive toxic relationships so and it's really it's really it's really hard for some people to get to that place where they can get completely honest with themselves about being in that situation yeah when you are in that situation the of domestic violence and as you said the manipulation i think there are so many factors that plays into it as you said and yeah. it gets very complicated yeah because it's about love the initial thing is love so you are like does he love me or he doesn't love me and yeah. then you have these uh strange questions that doesn't have even answers to it that's it and and the reality is if someone loves you they shouldn't be hurting you but is if you don't recognize that it's it's easy and then children come involved and you know which women try to keep the family together you know women do that and i often say to a lot of people that have been through domestic violence you think you're weak but you're not it was your you know you there's a strength that you had to used to try and manage in that abusive relationship now will use that strength to get you on the recovery path and actually into that self-reflective and dealing with the reality of yourself so that you can walk forward out of the experiences instead of dragging them with you yes yes it took some time but <laughs> yeah. it it's a good work it's worth doing Yeah, that's a beautiful statement. It is worth doing. Yes. Yes. Well, I want to thank you for being here today. I've really enjoyed talking to you, and I hope your path keeps bringing lots of new exciting experiences for you. I hope so too. This has been actually very nice uh, 
interview with you podcast and you. you are a great person i i just love it yeah that's brilliant that's, i'll take that <laughs> thank you <laughs>